You get to know a lot butchering meat. We're made up of the same things, flesh and blood, tissue, organs. I love to work with pigs. The nearest thing in nature to the flesh of a man is the flesh of a pig. Pig, huh? That's right. This is for you, mother. There you go. God bless you, Mr. God bless you. She ain't really my mother. I knew that, Bill. This is the liver. The kidneys. The heart. This is a wound. The stomach will bleed and bleed. This is a kill. This is a kill. The main artery. This is a kill. You try. Long good, don't follow the blade on the rib. Very good. Main artery. Bleed him slow. Let him think about it for a while. We are recording to you from Studio 212 on beautiful South Lake Union, Seattle, Washington. This is going to be episode 131 of Grill. How much longer, steak, Mr. JP? How much longer are those fucking ribeyes? Two minutes. Two minutes. Thank you. Trim that fat, sir. Eric Rivera, out today. As you know, he is a madman. And he does 87,000 things. And uh, so he's very busy. We usually record on Mondays. It is now Wednesday. The show will be coming out tomorrow on Thursday. So he is busy this week. He is hiring some new people in his kitchen. He is trying to expand. And I am glad that he is getting some recognition for that. And they also have recognized what an insane human being he is. Eater.com has put him on the front page um, and the title of it is you can go to eater uh, seattle.com and the name of the article is how rock star chef Eric Rivera manages to do it all rock star I don't know about that he's more of a rap star I think he's trap star trap star trap star star, yeah I mean his shoe game is on point so you know yeah so they uh, he pretty much I mean this basically this article covers our very first interview that we did with Eric before he was a co-host on this show. Um, he talks about, you know, where he worked at. It doesn't cover everywhere he worked at, but in none, none of the beef, none of the drama. That's kind of what we get into here on the well, show. Yeah, you know, because uh, we, we like our meat. <laughs> what? <laughs> we like our meat. You like meat. We like all the beef, dude. All the beef. I'm vegetarian lately, you know what I'm saying? Getting these gains. <laughs> Oh, by the way, uh, yeah, one of my Gaines partners, one of my little workout buddies is here in the studio. Uh, you guys may recognize JP if you're a longtime listener of this podcast. Take it all the way back to episode 13 where we talked about butchery. Uh, my oh, buddy. one. Uh, yeah, one, I know. Come a long way. We came up. Oh, kind of. <laughs> but uh, episode 13 featured uh, JP. John Paul, you want to introduce yourself? 
Not really. Um, <laughs> John Paul the Butcher. Yeah, he was a butcher that I met a long time ago. He hails from California. Uh, he is currently still in the industry, but just not in the back of the house. No. Kind of what, what we wanted to talk about a little bit about today, but uh, the transition and what? Episode 13 was in 2016? 2000 fucking forever ago, man. It's been like two years. Yeah. So I haven't, you know, I, he's moving to New York. So I wanted to have him come and be on the show. And since Eric was gone, I said, hey, I hang out with JP all the time. Like I said, we go over here. We went sledding together. Yeah. That was quite fun. He lost his phone, but got Found it back. It uh, so we'll get into that in a little bit. But first, the semifinalists for the James Beard nominations have been released. And uh, as I do every year on this show, I go over the people in the Northwest, the people that we hold near and dear to our hearts. If you want the full list, you can go to Eater or you can go to James Beard uh, Foundation. They have it all here. But what I'm going to be covering right now as we speak is uh, mostly Seattle restaurants or all Seattle restaurants. So first up, we got Best New Restaurant. It's going to be Sawyer. That is in the neighborhood of Ballard. Uh, Mitch Mayers is a chef there. Anybody been? Anybody been? I have not. I do not go near by you. It's so no. goddamn far away. I've been there. It is delicious. Where in uh, Ballard? Ballard, right? Old Town. Okay. Whatever. <laughs> Outstanding Baker is going to be Sea Wolf Bakers. That is in the Fremont neighborhood down the street from Studio 212. Tasty. Yes. Very, very good. Uh, both of the guys, the, the two brothers that run the place, uh, it's Kit and Jesse uh, Schumann. Uh, they're both legit bakers. Uh, they've been doing it, and they've worked at a couple other places around town before they started Seawolf, I believe, but they're legit. Uh, best bar program. I believe No Anchor was up last year, too, right? They're pretty consistently solid. As no far. Anchor down in Belltown. It says bar program, but I don't think they even serve cocktails at No Anchor. I think I think they do. Next door at the Tiki Bar. Shout out Keena. Yeah, no, not Rumba. No, um, um, Navy Strength. Navy Strength. Yeah, Keena's the bar manager down there, but I, 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 the whole team is pretty much in charge of the bar program down there. So shout out Jeff Vance. I know he was pushing hard. I feel kind of bad. He was pushing hard to get nominated for James Beard this this year. And uh, he didn't. But he's always got good food going on. He's doing good shit. He just wants that recognition, which I understand. Some people do. Some people don't. You know, um, Outstanding chef, Renee Erickson. She's a boss, but she's up for Bateau. Anybody been? It's on the hill. Nah. Apparently the steak is magnificent. All the steaks are fire. That place is that place is good. You got to get there early. Uh, they'll show you what they got. And once it's gone, it's gone. But uh, I would highly recommend Bateau. Uh, Shiro's up for uh, Sushi Kashiba down in the market. Anybody been there? Anybody? Uh, I ate at the old place. It's not the same. No. I never really found out what happened with him disconnecting. I mean, the place still, he doesn't, does he still own the place? Does he own Shiro's? I don't know. I haven't paid much attention to it because it hasn't really been a huge story. It's just like, as far as what happened. I thought he retired. That was my impression. And then he came back. There's no longer a a line out the door anymore. There used to be a line out the door for Shiro's every day. And I wouldn't know about uh, Sushi Kashiba because I call and make reservations. So I don't think Shiro's took reservations, but probably my favorite sushi in town. It's pretty goddamn good. Uh, pastry chef, Junko Mean, mine, uh, Cafe Juanita out in Kirkland, your hood. Goddamn delicious. Yeah, that restaurant is fire as fuck. And speaking of outstanding restaurant nationally, it's going to be Cafe Juanita out in Kirkland. If you, It's worth the drive. She's a baller. Place is fire as hell. You ever been? No. 
That says something that's worth going out to Kirkland for. Yeah, you know. Oh, yeah. Th- that and uh, HB Bevco, uh, Healthy Bones. Well, yeah, you know, they've got like <laughs> the single best uh, fruit bowls in Seattle. Acai bowl. Get it right, brother. No, dude, the nice cream. With the, the nice banana, cream, brother. The brada. banana ice cream. The nice cream, brother. I put a like a Kung Fu Panda up on my uh, Instagram story, and Amy called me racist. Well, I mean, you are. But. <laughs> then I sent her the emoji with the dude with his eyes closed and just the mouth flat. And she's like, is that supposed to be me? That's not funny. And I was like, that's pretty funny now that you mention it. Restaurateur uh, out of the Northwest. Uh, who do you think it is? Out of this whole city, if you could say the best restaurateur. Restaurateur? Yeah. I, I mean, Tom Douglas is always up there. Is uh, he? Ethan Stoll is always no, I'm t- is Because he? we're not talking about, uh, is the food great and innovative and <laughs> fucking fantastic? He's like, oh, did somebody with a name open another spot that got a bunch of hype and hasn't closed yet? Well, you got one of them. One of them right. Uh, Ethan Stoll Restaurants, ESR. Shout out Toby. Did our, did our boy Josh not make it this year? <laughs> <laughs> no, that whole I know a hell of people that work for Ethan Stoll. I know Eric, you know, dislikes Ethan Stoll, um, like dislikes his food and stuff like that. But most of my friends that work for him are pretty happy. Well, like, look, he runs. A, from what I understand, he runs a good company. Uh, the food isn't like you know groundbreaking or anything, but it's solid, good food. Yeah. Like, I, I could choose an, I could choose a stole place over most other places in the neighborhood and not feel bad about it. Yeah. Um, outstanding service. Uh, this one gets get, really gets my goat. Canalis. <laughs> I mean, I really feel like like we've talked about it on the show before. That can't you ever been to Canalis, JP? I haven't been there, but their staff used to come to Stampede after they close and hang out. And like I'm not surprised. They're cool. Good group of people. Yeah, Canalis has wonderful service, but is the service worth paying that much money for, for the food? The food isn't bad. No, but it's, I mean, Canlis has always staked its reputation on being just like, it's legit. Not, just, not necessarily unchanging, but like classic. They stick to classic shit. And I think because they don't change as much as some places where, you, you know, like somebody opens a new place in downtown, they're expected to change the menu seasonally. They're expected to do all this different stuff. And Canlis is just very kind of like traditional and stoic and like they do it really well. So there's like if you can do an ordinary thing extraordinarily well, you will. But I see well I would life. like to see. I would love to see some of these other restaurants here in Seattle, which we're not known for our service here in the Northwest. We're very casual, laid back. You know, we just are like, you know, nonchalant. Everybody here is the Seattle freeze. Everybody's too cool for school. But I would really would like to see some like Bateau, right? I mean, it's an amazing restaurant, but I would love to see like Bateau on that list. You know what I'm saying? But then they got to step their game up if they want to get on that list. Exa- honestly- I know exactly. That's I know that's what I'm saying. But I wish that I wish that more places would pride themselves on service. Not that it's bad service. It's just not excellent service. And they let fucking, I don't know, too tattooed, too cool for school people that just don't fucking care and it's like if you ask for something out of like you know they throw you a fucking attitude instead of being like oh i'm here to serve you you know a lot of that i can make a lot of the food at some of these fucking fancy restaurants let's be fucking honest it's not fucking rocket science i can't do what eric does i'm not i mean you know that's not what i do but some of these restaurants i can cook a motherfucking steak i fucking kill it on a grill honestly man Part of what stands out to me is the fact that the best service I've had in this area, period, was over at John Howie in Bellevue. You always, man, suck his dick some more. I get John Howie out of your mouth at least twice a show. What are you talking about? It's on your side. It's repping east side over there. 
I never talk about that place. <laughs> you do. Well, I might talk about a good dinner, but oh. I've mentioned. A, but like as far as the service goes, straight up, I've never been. It's there. been. It, it, He's baller though. It, I mean, it's baller service. Yeah. Like probably the only place I've had better service is down in Vegas. Uh, best wine program. It's gonna be La Lo Orson. In downtown Seattle, I have been there to eat. The food is delicious too. Uh, wine, I haven't been drinking so much wine lately. But beer, booze, and winemakers. Uh, nobody here in Seattle, uh, which you know, kind of yeah. kind of upsets me. But uh, we got uh, Dave Green. He's at Skagit Valley Malting uh, in Burlington, Washington, and then Mike Shore at Red Willow Vineyard in Wapato. Wapato. Anybody know that? Uh, then we got your rising chef, which this is, you know, confusing to me. Jay Blackington out in Hogstones Wood on Orcas Island. I'm really happy that they went out of town and went to Orcas. We talk about the islands all the time. I did not know about this place, but next time I find myself out there, I'll be going to this place. And then Shoda. Shoda. At Adana. But wasn't he on Rising Star, <laughs> Rising Chef Star last year? I mean, look, he could still be on the ascent. <laughs> I guess. Yeah, he is. He's going up. And it couldn't happen to a nicer guy. Could not happen to a nicer guy. Yeah, his his uh, his IG stories are baller. He's baller. Yeah. He's a good dude. Uh, and then you got your category of Best Chef Northwest. I'll run through it real quick. Logan Cox at Homer. Fire. Eric Donnelly. I want to go fishing with him. Uh, he's at Rock Creek. Eric Johnson at Stateside. Just ate there last week. It's always good. Colin Patterson. That is at Mana Restaurant, and that is not in Seattle. I can't remember where it's at. Oh, it's in Leavenworth. That's where it's at. Sleepy little town <laughs> uh, east of this Mountain Town. Mountain Town. I guess. This built like a German chalet, you know, go get your worst. Uh, Chef Soma at Komanegi. If you have not been there. Gangster. Get your ass there and eat that shit. And then uh, Rachel Yang at uh, Jewel. It's Julie. good to see... What's the most politest way to say? It's good to see ethnic chefs getting nominated for the food that not very do. many ethnic chefs on here. No, but it's good to see her getting nominated for that stuff. Yeah, I don't know. I keep on reading these articles, and you know, Eric always backs me up on this. But you know, you need some more diversity in the kitchen. You do more women. You know, and JP doesn't believe in that. He's what? He's all. <laughs> <laughs> Super quiet over um, there. I would like to make one mention um, about the National James Beard Awards and some nominees that they missed. Oh, yeah. Thanks. Um, I was going to cover well, a couple of them. But well, I, a couple of them. But I, I was, I was really, really it. disappointed because there was one restaurant that got left out that I was really um, kind of excited to, to see what everybody's thoughts were. And that's uh, Chicken Guy from Guy Fieri, his new uh, national chain of chicken tenders restaurants. And, uh, chicken tenders. You know, the overlooking of Chicken Guy is a fucking travesty. <laughs> There's all your players are on there. there uh, what I liked about this list is it's not, it's not everybody from your major cities. You know, it's not just New York, Chicago, L.A., San Francisco, Seattle. Um, you got some Virginian restaurants, North Carolina. Well, I think the South Georgia. has really been coming up a lot in the last couple of years. Just I think as far Southern as the, food is getting some more respect. Well, it's getting respect, and people, uh, I think serious chefs are starting to do serious shit with it. And you see it like all over the place as far as the kind of people getting profiled from guys like Sean Brock. And then, like, I mean, fucking Top Chef went down to Kentucky. So by the time they jump on the trend, you know it's already rolling. Heard. Okay, JP. Now, last time I had you here in the studio, you were working where? Um, around then, I think I was still just at Local 360 in Bell and Wheat. Hey, no, you weren't. No? No. 
It was local 360 and Whole Foods then at the time. <laughs> yeah, you were at Whole Foods because we yeah. talked about butchering at Whole Foods. And then you decided to leave the back of the house. And when you left the back of the house and you transferred to the front of the house, where was the first place you went? Uh, Jolie. And that was Amy's restaurant. Yeah, and I worked with uh, Amy and Paul. Amy and Paul. And you were there. You you were one of the first people hired on there, right? Yeah. Um, also, it was around the same, a uh, little before. That was the first place where it was like uh, a restaurant. Because before then, I was working at a box house. That's when I first started bar backing was a box house. Uh, that's right. And that's like a nightclub, a sports bar, but that was like high volume. And like we were, we had talked about last time on the show how... You know, being being in the industry doesn't necessarily mean you're a, a grunt or a line cook or whatever. You were actually a, a full time butcher. I wouldn't. Re- I wouldn't really say so much a full time because if I ever worked forty hours a week, like I'd be that's me milking the clock. <laughs> that was a, a big reason. Yeah, but you worked. But you worked forty hours across full, two restaurants. Full, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Full time. Um, Eric. Eric is like. <clears throat> Uh, which I don't think you've never met my co-host on my show, but he is, he wants a butcher very badly. Um, he needs somebody there because he doesn't have anybody there that does any butchery for him. So that time it takes for somebody to come in and just knock that stuff out is so helpful to the entire, I've noticed that the entire crew, the, uh, a lot because a lot of times it's either like the sous chefs, the chef that, you know, they have a lot of other stuff they need to take care of and they have to sit down and then do because they're the one of the only few that know how to do it efficiently. Well, it's not just that either is that and, you know, we're, we talked about it before the show, we'll get into it right now. When you're a butcher and that is what you're focused on. That is all you do. It's like a specialist. All, all day. Like exactly. Kind of like having a pastry chef. Exactly. They'll always hire a pastry chef yeah. or a bread maker. Or uh, somebody that just focuses on desserts, but if the line, if the line cooks or the sous or any of that stuff doesn't have a butcher, then they're uh, they have to do it all themselves. Yeah, and uh, and if they're not trained properly or don't know like whole butchery, it takes them a long fucking time. So you still have to butcher all your meat. If you're on most times, you're on grill station. So I had to do that shit. I'm not not the greatest butcher in the world, but um, I can break some shit down. But you have to do that plus set up the rest of your fucking station. Yeah, it's a lot of stuff. And so it really helps uh, when you have somebody um, there. And so you always were looked at as like the the savior. Everybody liked you. Yeah, I remember the uh, when I went back to local for to help out for Thanksgiving for those turkeys, the sous chef they had. I'd never met him before, and he was like about to start on this like four four fifty four hundred fifty pounds of turkeys, and uh, I was like, hey, a little birdie said that you guys need like. Some help. Yeah, uh, yeah. Hold on. Back, back, back it up okay. real quick. Back it up real quick. So you just stopped by I, this. I want JP to tell the story because it's a pretty funny story. And I want the like the deets, all the deets, how much you got paid, how long it took you, all that good stuff. So you just randomly walked by Local 360 one day. No, I like heard through the the grapevine. Yeah, the grapevine. Because you're a bartender. You're bartending, mm-hmm. right? And you heard through the grapevine that they. They needed help butchering their turkeys for Thanksgiving. They wanted me specifically to come butcher their turkeys for Thanksgiving. Called by name. Yes. Because <laughs> I was an old butcher, and I hadn't been there for like six months. Called JP the butcher. <laughs> <laughs> so you went by. Yeah, I just like popped in and just was like, you know, stuck my head in the kitchen. What's up, guys? Like, someone said that, uh, you know, you guys need some help. And the sous chef was like, I, I could see. You didn't even like, know him. No, I could see like the love in his eyes when I said that. <laughs> <laughs> he, was, he was so stoked. And I'm like, well, I'm not right now. I'll come back and do it tomorrow. But he was like, who are you? Like, where did you come from? JP also, okay. looked, he looks like a like a nomadic Viking-ish uh, 
I don't know. The flowing locks of Jesus. Yeah. So imagine him walking with his hair down and his like uh, leather jacket the on. Sun shining behind him, giving me kind of halo effect. Coming like Furio. So and then you're not you you were not still employed there. So what did you? How did you negotiate with them? How much you were going to be compensated? So the funny thing is, actually, originally they originally said they're going to be paying me cash. And then Scott never got allegedly. Around. Allegedly, that was how it was originally supposed to work out. Um, Wait, are you telling me that a handshake deal in the restaurant industry went south? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that he said, she said, without going to the deeds, because I, I, I thought I was doing him a favor, you know? Yeah. And uh, you didn't need the, you don't need the work. Yeah. And then at the end, there, oh, there was this big like, no one paid me, and they're like, oh, I thought you know someone already did that. We'll talk to this person, talk to that sort of oh, guys, God. and it was like. Almost a month later. Shut the fuck up. Yeah. Because I, I wasn't like really trying to press. She called me, just, man. It was just like dialed up the owner. And eventually I went in and Marcus Allenbach was just like, it was the second, third time he'd see me come in. And he's like, just he pulled out a checkbook and he's like, how much do you want? <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much that's what like, what he said. And uh, yeah, he just cut me a check right there. And then how much, how much, how much, did, how long did it take you and how much, how many birds did you do? It was like the whole thing because they were like half frozen. That was the bitch about it. If they were if they were defrosted all the way, that would have been e- a lot easier. But instead, you have these just like, a warm massage with your hands. No, you, you gotta like re- fucking wrestle them. You gotta manhandle <laughs> like like so you're taking trying to like bend the, the wing out, and you're almost like breaking the bone because it's so like solid. So it, I'd like wrestle them for about maybe three and a half hours though. I don't know. It was probably forty or fifty birds or something. And then how long? No, like 40, 40 birds, like three and a half hours. Three and a half hours, something like that. It's not too bad, man. Maybe a little, a little under. How much did you charge them? Uh, I keep that to myself. <laughs> how long would it have taken you if they'd been de- defrosted? Half that time, easy. Uh, but like when at a shop I used to work, like during like the week of Thanksgiving, you're you got like three guys cutting up birds for like eight out, like you know probably seven hours their shift, and it's like you're going through several thousand pounds. So and in some places, you know, you'll cut like 200 pounds every single morning. I mean, maybe like you know, 12 really big birds. So well, yeah, because once you get that down, it's just a really quick process. It's just a it's big just ass bang, 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 bang. Well, I mean, in some ways, I think it's easier than cutting up a chicken because yeah. it's it's like bigger and you just kind of like most definitely. Yeah. And so like yeah, once you have your rhythm in, like you just it crush it. It's really it's just like like it gets to the point where it's almost like filleting a fish, where you can just like zone out and just. One of my old, one of the, one of the sous chefs I used to work with could fucking just butcher a bird so quick it would make your eyes tear up in joy. I remember like when, when I used to, wow, I was like 19, I worked at Whole Foods and my manager there, he used to have us have races to see like put a case of chickens in front of each person and whoever could break them down all the way like deep on the thigh, deep on the breast and everything. And you like, you know, race each other on chickens. And I like, I got down to like. 30 seconds back then and I was Fuck. I was pretty proud of that. <laughs> well, I mean, we, that's a, something we were talking about before we started the show was that I'm not saying butchery is easy by any means, but when you're doing something every day all day and you're working with the same product, you get really really good at it. But in a restaurant, a good restaurant, I'm not like short order chefs Man, you work at like a fucking Denny's or IHOP or whatever. Yeah, you're cooking the same fucking thing every day. The menu never changes. But when you're working in a like a fine dining restaurant or, you know, some of the 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 upper, you know, the casual fine dining restaurants, 
they there's so many components to a dish. And so there's so many multiple different things. And a lot of that stuff can change on the daily. And so sometimes maybe the chef, maybe you've worked with a certain product, but a chef, you have to go to your chef and say, I don't know how this is on the menu. I don't know how to make this. You know, I don't know how, how, how you, and they don't have a recipe and then they kind of get mad at you for not knowing. And it's like, it's not really your fault that you don't know. And then your chef wants to bitch at you for asking how to do it. You know, it's the same with, with butchery, right? You, there's apprenticeship programs in butchery, right? Mm -hmm. And so you learn everything you know, all at once when you're cooking on the line, it's kind of, you know, you're learning as you go, you know, and if nobody shows you what to do, you know, you're kind of lost and you have to rely on somebody else to show you something. I ran into that a couple of times when I was butchering things and the chef would, you know, look at a piece of meat and it's hacked up or something like that. Or there's some, some trim that's got extra meat on it. And he would yell at you. And it's like, yo, I had to do this on the fly and I really don't know how to do this. And then someone just get pissed. Other ones are like, well, then you need to ask somebody. But when you're, you know, when you're short on time, you don't have, you know, you don't have any time. You just, you're going to make it work by any means necessary. Totally. I mean, I, I, I can just, I relate to that. Just seeing someone that's like, so they really needed like a ribeye. And you're like, what the fuck did you just do? <laughs> yeah. you know, that's a, <laughs> that's a fucking $300 piece of meat right there. And you just cut diagonally. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But it, it, it's something that I've always been super jealous of butchers because, you know, I always, I felt like they had a cush, cush job, man. They, they didn't work. It wasn't too hot. You guys were always cool. <laughs> oh dude. I love that. In Southern California. <laughs> Through those heat waves, it's you know almost triple digits. I'm like, I'm going to work today. It's gonna be 38 degrees where I'm working all day long. Um, yeah, I was always jealous of JP. I, I love him to death. He's such a nice guy. He's really always has a smile on his face. But I was always just be like, you motherfucker. And he just you know, and he worked really fast. And you know, and, that, and that's the thing he was saying earlier was about how like milking the clock. You never really milked the clock because you couldn't because you were just really quick with all your butchery. So oh, it's not yeah. like you just take your time and like slump around the kitchen with pisses motherfuckers off that are on the fucking line, busting their ass. And you just see the fucking butcher come through and they're just like, or like the sausage maker or whatever. They come through and they're just like, Hey guys, what's up, man? Just over here drinking my ice cold soda. And you're like, I'm Give not going to lie, dude. I've like, at least in my own view, I've done that plenty working at local where I just like strut in. Son What's up, guys? How, you know, like, and you're hung over half the time, too. Still get my shit done in like 45 <laughs> minutes if I want to. It's it's fucked up. Pasta makers sometimes are the same way, too, because they got to let the pasta dry and they got, you know, let it rise, all this shit, you know. So they're just like, eh, you know. As much as I bitch, you know, I enjoy the like the stress and the like, like the, the camaraderie and like the challenge of, of working on a line and making it through a service. You just uh, like the chaos. I think that's most yeah. line cooks do. We like that. Just okay, everything's running a million miles an hour and could fall apart Helps in a second, time and it's fun. So much better. Yeah. So here, I got questions for you. What's your favorite animal to break down? Lamb. Lamb, yeah. What is size. it about it? Just size? Yeah, I, can, I mean, I can pick the la- I can pick the whole thing up by its leg and start like taking it apart. <laughs> All the other ones are, and that's kind of what I when I first started learning, like the anatomy and just how the whole like works apart. Just on a lamb, it's a lot easier because of the cow. You're, it's like hung up in front of you, but with the lamb, you can kind of like. So it's just a little more tangible. Like you can say, oh, okay, yeah. I fit all this in my head. Mm-hmm. What, how do you feel about uh, different cuts of meat on a cow? Like, what's your favorite? What's underused? Um, what are people missing that they should really start to look more at as far as the, the cuts that they buy? 
That's a good question. Like, what probably my favorite cut, and I just learned a new name for it yesterday. It's called the end. What's well, the the cap of a top sirloin? French, like French called the culotte. Um, yeah. Culotte. Uh, yeah, the culotte. Um, in Spanish, it's called the picanha. Um, I didn't know that because in Spanish, really culotte really is really close to culo, culo. Yeah, which I is had, a whole had, different I, piece I had of a, animal. I had a boss that like, because <laughs> I, I used to be like, "Oh, you want to try this culotte steak?" And he came up, he's like, "Dude." Don't say that. Like people think you're saying culo. I'm like, no, you think I'm saying culo. Okay, like it's French. Since um, we're talking about Spanish meats, I want to shout out. I went to eat at Buenos Aires Grill down in Belltown. They, fire. Yeah, uh, it's Argentinian restaurant and uh, the GM. great Scotch selection. GM, yeah, GM hooked it up. Uh, it was really good. But they, uh, they have some free fire fire meat selection down there. So you yeah, love Paul's. the culotte? Yeah, love that. Not culotte. the culo, culotte. <laughs> yeah, um, and the other one would be. Uh, like face meat. I think like I always cabe- see you playing cabeza. with that. Yeah, yeah. Like just any any face H- meat. Head cheese. Head cheese. cheese. I mean, yeah, that's always a good one. Cheek. Yeah. Really cheek. One. You like cheek a lot. Yeah. Them cheeks. That them cheeks. Give <laughs> <laughs> <Even> the cheeks. <laughs> um. What? Uh, one more question about butchering before we get into what you've been up to since last time. We. I just wanted to catch up some maybe some newer listeners about you know your background and what you do. What's your Achilles heel of butchering? Taking out the hind leg, yeah. Like let's say you know if you have a whole pig or or a lamb or whatever, just trying to get the whole leg out at once without using a saw. <laughs> it's pretty difficult. But I mean, that's I mean everybody uses a saw, unless you're like in a you like don't have a, to. I mean, you're in a barn. You know? I mean, like that. Hang that thing up. That like that that pig. Yeah. That I did on a uh, on on Chinese New Year. <laughs> I I did a like I scorpion fate. I deboned a whole pig for Chinese New Year. And uh, I yeah. w- no, but keep keeping the skeleton intact, the head. So it was like a scorpion fatality. That was a bitch because I was. Well, I mean, that you fucker was half frozen. Yeah, too. but you did that. But you did that as you weren't even working as a butcher when you did that. Right. I was when I was working at d and E. I I was yeah. a, both a butcher and a bartender. OK, I would do like a butchery shift, like the best days where I'd go in for like two hours, do some butchery and like charcuterie earlier in the day. And then, you know. Press the switch, like you know, swap my schedule over yeah. to the bartender. They just like put a shirt on and an apron and then go out front and be like, Hey guys, what's up? And that was really cool. How many of your Bloody Marys actually had blood in them? <laughs> <sighs> None. All about cleanliness. What made you want to make the change? Was it purely financial? Was it, it was hours? The amount or? of people. Well, okay. Like I never got into butchery thinking that would be a career. Like yeah. if anything, it's become a hobby to me now. It's something like I like to do. I, st- I still want to do it like on the side for fun because it's cool and like charcuterie is a lot of fun. Then I'm, st- I'm still. Did you get into dry that. aging and all that stuff and curing? Uh, I've done a lot with dry aging, but curing meats yeah. and like nitrates, I'm very yeah. new to all that. And okay. I think it's really cool. It's a lot of fun. Um, the biggest part is just so many of my friends for like years when I came to Seattle, so many people that I was working with that all worked in like in the service industry were like, dude, you need to be a bartender. Like you're like the character of a bartender. And I just kept getting that from like. I think they meant you're an alcoholic is what I think. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's like, hey, man, you know, fat, fat guys, you're a chef. You're a fat chef. Get in the kitchen. You you're good looking drunk behind the bar. Just joking, JP. Okay. <laughs> Not really. So you you want so they were just like you make the switch and it took you a while. You bar back to a couple different places, mm-hmm. and then our friend Amy, as you can see, there's a theme. We're all connected. Most of my friends that come with this one show, one big incestuous all, circle. Um, she hired you out at her new restaurant, Jolie. 
which is, you know, gone now. And you started working with Paul. Yeah. Who was Jamie's bar manager, or mm-hmm. Jamie, Amy's bar manager. Fucking genie of cocktails. Yeah, genie of cocktails. Yeah, that guy knows what he's doing. And then you left because he actually opened up his own bar, correct? Uh, that, there's like a six-month gap between those two times. Yeah. Um, so I didn't leave because of that. Like, we, we both left around the same time, and then, like, down the road, he was opening, or he was working on opening Stampede. I was, kind of came by just, like, kind of hang out and help out a little bit if, with what he needed. And then I helped doing the, the, the grand opening. And like the second day, he's like, I want you to work here. So so the funny thing about that is that uh, people kept telling me about this place in Stamp, this place Stampede, this new cocktail bar, this new place. And I was like, I don't know the fuck it's out. I've never been there. You know, whatever, yada, yada, yada. Missing out. And then I ran into JP and he was like, I was like, what are you doing? Where are you working at? And he's like, oh, Stampede. And then he told me who was owning it, who ran it and stuff like that. And I was like, okay. And that's the thing that we talk about is we talk about on the show all the time about how people flap their, bump their gums and tell you a place is awesome and you got to check this place out and it's so good. It's the new thing. And you're like, what the fuck ever? I don't care. That's just people in the industry say that. That's how, that's how we operate. And then you run into somebody who knows what they're talking about that can, you know, you trust their opinion of and that's when I actually went was because you recommended it and I found out who the owner was and I found out that and I'd had some of I've heard about him and I'd had some of his drinks before he was a good bartender what I thought funny about Stampede though which is still open it's in Fremont right yeah they're crushing it. What I had thought, and they it's got still re- open, like uh, you know, <laughs> yeah. No, well, no, they're doing. I mean, they're doing good. But I was just saying, I I wanted to make sure we're not talking past tense, like you know, that it closed. Uh, JP just doesn't work there anymore. What I thought was funny about that place is they had no they had no kitchen. It's nice if you can get away with it in Seattle. Well, no, there, there's a but they made the bartenders yeah. cook the food. Well, no, no, so they don't have a kitchen staff. There is a kitchen. Oh, okay. There's just. Uh, we well, you know it was it was a new thing and it's a new business, so it's like we're still they're still figuring out all the kinks. But at the time, we instead of having a back of the house staff, like everyone wore many hats. Like you'd have like a designated like service well bartenders like print tickets, but the other, everyone else was like back of the house dishwasher, server, busser, bar back, uh, like all those things. And it, you know, obviously, it's a small place that doesn't sound like anything overwhelming, but. When like their seventh, you know, it's well. So let me ask you a question about that. That's interesting because like now you've got somebody as a bartender who, you know, traditionally bartenders don't necessarily make anything above whatever the owner has to pay them by law, and then they make all their money on tips. Yeah. Were you guys getting paid extra to do all that kitchen shit? No, we just we split that. Uh, we just like split tips down the middle evenly for everybody. Yeah, I mean, I really liked when he had told first told me about this. I, I really liked this concept. I don't know if they still do it like that now. I mean, there's been time, and like I said, that we're still going through all the figuring out the kinks and kind of learning how the business was going to run. So I don't know if they're still doing it the same way right now or not. Did you like that way of, of service, of food service? No. <laughs> <laughs> Why? Because you actually had to do something besides no, drink no, no, all day? No, no, I mean, it was cool about a, it was cool, like, the experience is just kind of like the, the pressure and trying to figure out how to multitask. But there were just times when like it was is not feasible to like do that many things at once, or even like just the the structure but, of everything wasn't made to like the system wasn't like ironed out. It's I have a weird feeling towards bartenders and their perception of like what's hard. You know, I not you know I'm not. 
picking on you or anything like that. But a little bit. No, not picking on JP at all. JP understands, man. He's been in the back of the house. You know, that's why he, you know, I can dish it to him and he can take it. I'd be offending somebody else if it was like a strictly bartender because you call them fucking crybabies, right? You know, all the time I tell my friends they're crybabies and they're like, shut the fuck up. Well, it's like, like, the way I look at it is imagine, imagine like, and this is just the kitchen side of it, but, um, like ha- having a ticket, make fake the food, have to run it out to the table. You have to, you have to plate the table. You have to drop the food off. You have to bust the other tables and still like, you know, serve drinks and do all the other shit. Yes. And, well, like, see, and, and get ice and get, you know, and just I can sounds, like, really sounds, sounds like a lot of, th- a lot of things you got to juggle, like working in a kitchen, like working on a line. But, no, but not, but like, you're and like, you also have to deal with customers. Well, it's not all that. You're like, have to rent running around the entire business. <gasps> well, no, but what my, my, what I was trying to bring up and the, the point that I was trying to make was that you guys are making so much vastly more money off of those drinks. Yeah. And the way that Seattle has set it up is that to be a restaurant, I mean, to be a bar restaurant, it's the same um, license. And so you have to serve food unless you have a nightclub license. And bartenders, bar owners fucking hate it because you don't make very much money off food. It's a very small profit margin and compared to how much you're starting to have to pay chefs. So I thought it was funny or cooks. So I thought it was funny that he, Paul had, the owner had actually started making the bartenders serve the food, bust the table. Or barbacks. And barbacks, you know what I'm saying? But you can still pay them a lesser wage because you're splitting all the tips, which is, I think is really, really good. I don't want to say that it's like it's taking money out of the hands of my fellow cooks because what you guys were cooking there was sufficient for well, we were steaming dumplings. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I which, don't know about cooking. Well, yeah, yeah. It was just well, yeah. But bars have always had like a tradition in Seattle of, of scraping by in the absolute bare fucking minimum they can get Shit, away with. Shit, man! I've seen fucking places. This is my best concept I've ever seen of a bar that had to serve food and. They serve $30 Hungry Man's. I know which bar you're talking about. (laughs) I've been there. I remember when I first moved to Seattle, I asked for some food at one of them. They're like, okay, yeah, here you go. And I was like, uh. But motherfuckers would eat that shit. You're drunk as shit at these kind of bars or die. They were divey bars. You know, you get a shot and a beer for $5. People will get hammered drunk. And they wanted food. And they had food. I've seen $5 bags of small potato chips. I've seen peanuts for four bucks, you know. But you guys did a little bit better. You were cocktails and all that good stuff. It kind of bit, I mean, it worked out great, but it kind of like backfired in a way because Google had us listed as an Asian restaurant. Yeah. Yeah. People would come not thinking it was a cocktail bar. They'd come thinking they're going to get some like, you know, dumplings. I remember there was one time I had to turn away this like, Family of Chinese people, like a big family, it was going to be a big ticket if they actually got to stay. But they had their kids with them, so I was like, "I'm sorry, like you guys, you can't have kids yeah, in here." The bar. And as they left, I'm like, "Man, that was, I was, that was going to be like a two hundred dollar tab." Right there. <laughs> There's a lot of them. Um, you guys, uh, Stampy, I'm saying you guys, uh, Stampy has actually been written up about their dumplings. And we've had personal private conversations about the dumplings, and they had expanded their menu. The original dumplings they had were just fine. They, those were those were great. Yeah, but then they expanded their menu, and they started getting a bunch of bad reviews. Really? About so they so I think they switched back now to just the original ones that they had. Little tings. The, <laughs> um, so you left. Uh, you left Stampede. You went to D and E. Tell tell people some of our listeners about D and E because I'm still confused. I haven't been there yet, but it just got written up. It won some award on Eater or something like that for their uh, cocktail program, I believe. 
That's awesome. The um, so I'm friends with the the head chef there, Mennonite local. What's his name? Uh, ben Davidson. Ben Davidson. Yeah. And I wonder if I know this guy. Yeah, he's he's really he's really creative dude. He's like a he's a very nerdy chef. That's uh, in like in a good way. Aren't all chef but, nerds? I mean, he's he's nerdier than others I've met, <laughs> but it's in a good way. Like he definitely knows. He's really passionate, and excited about like what he's making. Food nerds. Um, he talks about paint like food like it's like a paint of art. Isn't that delightful? Like, is it isn't that pleasant? Well, yeah, yeah, I get it. To be, you know, he's a great I get guy. it. And um, so a lot of the staff, the least that I know, all came from local three hundred and sixty. Like over half the staff that we all know there. So we all like worked really well together. Jumping ship. Awesome. Yeah, it created a really good culture just because like <laughs> everybody was already we all knew each other well. We knew how each other worked. We worked well together, um, which it just really created a good dynamic. They, like the cut, you can t- feel it when you come in. Like everyone's working really fluidly with one another. What's the concept down there? Food? Yeah. Everything. Everything. Yeah. It's a big, it's a big ass it's a yeah. big ass menu. North American cuisine was how they want to describe it, but I mean, they got everything from like tandoori carrots and like uh veggie shawarma and ho- like you know house made charcuterie hoagies. I have not I've not dips. I have not been down there. It is in Pioneer Square. I've heard really good things about it. I was going to go there and see you. Get but a wicked uh, chicken sandwich for 10 bucks with yeah. a Rainier. And you just recently left there because you are moving to New York. Yeah. And that is why I wanted to have you on the show before you left. Um, you are, I think this is only, what, we've had maybe like four, three or four guests return? Yeah, not many. Yeah, not many. Uh, and I hang out JP pretty often, and we talk about food and all sorts of stuff, mostly metal. But... Uh, He's going to New York, and so I wanted to get his point of view of why uh, he's taken off from Seattle and what his future plans are in um, New York. Uh, pretty well. There's a couple of reasons in New York. One is it's kind of part of like my bucket list, just somewhere you know, something I want to check out before it's too late. But also as a bartender, that's a really good city to be a bartender. It's super competitive, also, but there's no shortage of bars there and different types of bars. But it's it's a city where it's like it's all about networking and who you know, and that's kind of what being a, a big part of being a bartender. That's is also just it. what you do. It is, yeah. Um, but yeah, that's I just go out there and continue my bartender bartending experience. Like I, I'm, I know where I'm at in my skill, so I I know I still have a lot to learn, but I'm not like afraid in saying that. So do you have plans when you get out there? Like, have you selected a borough to reside in? I'm staying with my friend in Manhattan for the first few weeks. Um, I want I like, I'd love to live in Harlem, but ultimately just figure Once I figure out like, can you do the Harlem shake? I want to live in Spanish Harlem. (laughs) (laughs) But ultimately, it's going to be like what I can figure out. Like I need to get a better lay of the land. Then Before I decide where I'm going to stay. And then where's your, you got a job already too, right? Yeah, Budokan. Budokan. What do they serve? It's a fine dining Asian restaurant. Fine dining Asian. Okay, well, it's going to be sad to see you go. And I look forward to coming out there and visiting you. That'd be fun. Hopefully. To get settled in there. Yeah. Uh, do you want to let people know how to get a hold of you? Absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I'm leaving. <laughs> Fuck off. <laughs> I've been no. deactivated by Facebook. What? <laughs> yeah. You don't want any followers, man? No. A big thing is like, as I'm applying for new jobs, I don't want them to be like, oh, who's this guy? Just put it by Facebook. The first thing you see is a picture of me wearing makeup in a bathrobe. Like, <laughs> what about IG? What? Oh, yeah. That's your yeah, IG. Yeah. I can't, every time I try to tag you on Instagram, I can't remember your name. Excellent. It works. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's going to bring us to the end of episode 131 of Grill How Long Steak, Mister? 20 minutes. 20 minutes? <laughs> 
It's a long time, buddy. Yeah, suck it. It's a long time. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, uh, Keith. I didn't introduce you at the beginning of the show. That's okay. But uh, I'll keep the wise jokes down to a minimum. I'm too too tired, too exhausted these days to even fight with you. Can't do it. Bobby Stills, if you want to get a hold of me on all the platforms, it's at Bobby Stills on your Facebook, your Instagrams, and your Twitters. It's also Bobby Stills on PlayStation Network. I'm on the Red Dead Redemption. If you want to get a hold of us at the show, it's going to be Grill How Long Steak Mister on Facebook and Instagram, uh, at How Long Steak Mister on Twitters, and then it's going to be Grill How Long Steak Mister at gmail.com. Uh, that's Mr. MR for any questions, comments, uh, topics you'd like to hear, or if you want to start shit. I'm always here. Uh, if you want to get a hold of Eric Rivera, uh, check out his new Eater Story or just listen to our episode when we first interviewed him when he was a guest on our show. It's the same thing. Or you can visit him and book yourself a uh, a, a true dinner experience. experience. Um. Holy shit. Synchronicity. <laughs> uh, it's going to be auto.com, A-D-D-O, uh, Lechencito uh, for his... Uh, Puerto Rican pop up. He's also serving uh, Lechencito Puerto Rican lunch. He's working on a new. He did it. He did uh, pork rind puff pastry today. He made. Sounds fucking He's gonna be serving it tomorrow. Uh, Silva for his uh, tasting menu Northwest style cuisine and Eric Rivera cooks across all platforms. Keith, you can get a hold of him at Beats Noise Light. On Instagram uh, for all your podcasting, digital media needs. Uh, what else are we getting into, Keith? Man, it's all just graph pictures on my shit. <laughs> no, I'm talking about for Soundcasting Network. Fucking hit us up, man. Keith at soundcastingnetwork.com or info at soundcastingnetwork.com. Yeah, just soundcasting. Yeah, soundcastingnetwork.com. Go to the website. Our issue. Our, our the website is always getting better. It's always getting better. Building the types of media we're doing is broadening. The spectrum. I'm just proud that now I can say I'm officially part of the cannabis industry and not worry about the feds <laughs> knocking on my door. Where that bud at? Yeah, man. Uh, be on the lookout. We'll probably post some stuff from our Canacon adventures. We're, we're still trying to get a okay on. Uh, we posted the Sean Miss O'Neill. Cat Cora. We're still waiting to hear back from uh, their wonderful team. But our Cat Cora interview was fire. She's a fire lady. She's only like 5'4". Uh, yeah, shout out to my homeboy Hammy down in, in New Orleans. He actually just snagged a picture. She was, Cat Cora was in his kitchen cooking. So I think we're going to try to do a couple more guests. Uh, most when Me and Eric are in here. We just talk and talk and talk. So we don't really have any time or room for guests. But I have a lot of friends who don't live in, the, you know, I live in Seattle who cook, who are chefs that I'd really like to talk to. So I think we're going to start working on Skyping some people in and stuff and hopefully we can, get, we can get the sound quality in. So uh, I appreciate everybody listening. And uh, if you haven't, if you're a new listener and you only started listening because of Eric, go fuck yourself. No, I'm just playing. Uh, welcome to the show. We love you. Uh, thanks for, uh, thanks for listening. Uh, but go back and listen to some of our older stuff. Uh, Hillel was, was pretty fun. Some of our older guests are really good people and then a lot of the episodes with Johnny are fire as hell too that dude you was see fun. Johnny changed his, his IG handle Johnny Umami Johnny Umami yeah I like Johnny Toonami better but until next time guys thank you Grill how long steak mister five minutes out eat a dick bitch